Well, uh, it's only been two weeks since I've uh, preached, but man, it feels like a month and it feels like two months, to be totally honest. Um, so I am very, very happy to be, uh, be back with you guys. Last week, Garrison preached on Daniel chapter four, talked about Nebuchadnezzar and uh, just what it was for Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth at the time, to turn his heart in repentance towards God. And how important that is, that, that a person like that can, uh, can give their lives to Jesus, it really does set, I think, a different way in our lives. Uh, reminds us that everybody, every single person needs the grace of God to understand what life as a human being is all about. This week has felt very uh, different to me. I don't know what it's felt like for you, but there's this weird dissonance that seems to be going on. Uh, there's the messaging that is kind of coming out. One is saying restrictions are lifting. The other is saying it's getting worse. I don't know. It just feels like hard to know how to even process life at this exact moment. And I, I want to be a person that continues to go to the Lord and asks him to declutter my mind and my heart and my soul so that I can hear from him and I think if anything I can encourage you with right now, it's to, to not give up on that, to keep going to the Lord and saying, declutter my mind, my heart, my soul. I need to hear from you. I cannot live on bread alone, but I need every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So even now, I just want to encourage you in the, in the quiet of your own home, and I, I'll put quiet in air quotes because uh, my house hasn't been quiet for two months but uh, in the quiet of your own home, I do want to encourage you to just take a moment, even to ask the Lord for ears to hear. So often Jesus said that, let anyone who has ears to hear. And there's some times that I read through that and just say, I want that. I want ears to hear. I don't want to miss what you have to say. And I think that we can go to the Lord in prayer and just say, give me an ear to hear your voice today. Let's just take a, a brief moment and do that in the, in the quiet of our hearts. Even if our kids are, are loud or playing or, or screaming at us or whatever, I don't know if you can tune that out. But Jesus, we come before you and in total humility, knowing that we do not have all the answers. We ask you to declutter our minds, our hearts, and our souls to hear your voice today. love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to start by reading through Daniel chapter 5. Uh, it's 31 verses, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to grab them and open up. This is a story that you might have heard before, um, and it's something that's uh, that it's very important. So grab your Bibles, Daniel chapter 5, uh, and let's dig right in. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. 
The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all the peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose uh, are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was set and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. All right, that is an incredible story. It's a story that is uh, wrapped in history. There are so many elements of, of kind of Western civ. I don't know if you've taken a, a college class, Western civilization. You just see these, these kingdoms shifting around, and this story of Yahweh and his people is right at the center of a global conflict. And it's a pretty powerful moment. So this particular story starts with a new character, a man named Belshazzar. Now our understanding of Belshazzar is that he's most likely Nebuchadnezzar's successor rather than his literal son, though there may have been some weird family connection. There's been about 70 years uh, since Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were taken into exile out of Israel. So just know Daniel is most likely in his 80s in this particular story and has been in Babylon for most of his life. Guess is he probably doesn't even remember what Israel looked like. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC and Babylon fell to the Medes in 539. So there was a 23-year gap between Nebuchadnezzar's death in chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 4, and this particular situation. I share that bit of context because it demonstrates a couple things. The first is that Daniel has been living a phrase that we've used before. Eugene Peterson, 
uh, describes discipleship to Jesus as a long obedience in the same direction. That phrase has been lived out by Daniel. He has lived out a life of faithfulness and obedience over the long haul, 70 plus years of walking with Jesus. The second thing that we learn from this is that kings come and go. Power struggles, politicians, leaders, kings, kingdoms, nations, they take their place in time, they have their throne for a moment, and then they're not there anymore. But what we do see is that Yahweh is forever. Yahweh supersedes every king, every kingdom, every power, every politician, every leader. He is over all and through all and in all. So while people may look to a particular moment for help and hope, God is the only source of true help and true hope because he lasts forever. Now, Belshazzar, getting back to the story, is well aware of Nebuchadnezzar and his interactions with Yahweh. We see this after the queen brings it up and refreshes his memory, as queens always do. Uh, when he drinks out of the vessels, it's not an accidental choice, but rather a continual attempted expression of majesty and greatness. But here's the wild thing. If you took Western Civ, you know that at this exact moment, uh, the Medes are crashing in on Babylon. While Belshazzar is having this banquet with thousands of lords and concubines and wives and all the people that are there, the Medes are outside the walls of Babylon doing battle with the Babylonians and are about to crash in and take down this kingdom. That's when this moment happens. The night of this party is the night before the fall of Babylon. At the height of arrogance, pride, Belshazzar puts Yahweh in his place, in his own mind, that you are not the source of my help, that I have power and authority, and I rule my own kingdom. And Yahweh sends a message immediately. Immediately, Yahweh sends a message. Now, this is a pretty wild story, and I just want to walk through it a little bit because there are some amazing things that need to come out of it. The first one we see in Belshazzar is that arrogance doesn't help anybody. Believing that you are in control of your own life is not the source of true life in this world. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I've tried it. I'm guessing we've all tried it at some point, being king or ruler or authority, or even God of our own life, trying to control outcomes and situations. And the lesson, time after time, year after year, generation after generation, is that you are not in control. You do not have the power to dictate the outcome of tomorrow. There is something that you can dictate. And that's what we get from Daniel. And that's our second thing about this pa passage. Daniel lives a life of faithfulness and opportunity. So 70 years in Babylon, there have been opportunities that have come up for Daniel. The very beginning with his choice of diet, uh, we just see these opportunities to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, there are powerful moments where he's called on and he's actually placed in high rule and high authority over the kingdom because he is faithful, not to the king, but to Yahweh. So instead of trying to butter up Nebuchadnezzar, instead of trying to get in with him and try and make an impact from the inside, all he is doing is honoring Yahweh with his life, with his words, with his choices, and he continues to rise through the ranks. And now Nebuchadnezzar has passed, and it's been a 23-year gap. There's a gap in the narrative. 
And here's the thing. The first lesson that we actually learn is from the gap itself, the unspoken things in Daniel. 23 years. Now, I'm 40 years old, as is Shannon Birch today. Happy birthday once again, Shannon. I'm 40 years old, and one of the things that you start to see is that the, the youthfulness, all you people that are older than me are just like, okay, here he goes. He's talking like an old man. The, the youthfulness of what we think when we are young is that every single moment is our time to shine. That's our opportunity to make a big splash, to be bold and ambitious and to, and to do the big thing. In fact, sometimes we read through the Bible and we see narrative of big story after big story after big story. And we start to think that that's the rhythm and pace of our life. And we start to ride, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, the highs and the very lows of the Christian life. When I was young in my faith as a, as a teenager, we had a phrase for it. We called it a camp high. And what we would do is we'd go to a place like Forest Home or Hume Lake, and there would be this epic connection with Jesus, and it would fill our cup in such a way that, that we came home from camp just ready to change the world. And usually somewhere between two hours and two weeks later, we were finding ourselves in the pits of despair, wondering where Jesus is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we were just suburban kids feeling a little bit lonely, and that's where we went. And we start to live this pattern of the Christian life where we look for the next big moment. But our struggle is oftentimes in the day-to-day, -day, how do we walk? And what we learn from Daniel is this. Number one, faithfulness is not contingent on being called into action. It is an all-the-time call. Now, here's a tension that I'm going to walk in as I talk about these things. On the one hand, I'm going to talk about faithfulness and a long obedience in the same direction and how there may not be big moments of grandiose statements for the kingdom. On the other hand, there is an all-the-time call to go and make disciples of all nations. And we'll talk about the sense of calling and what God is asking you to do and prophetic insight into how to move and walk by the Spirit and that type of a thing. So those two things are moving in our Christian life. But one of them that Daniel teaches us is a long view of faithfulness. And our faithfulness, this is the second thing, is not defined by that one time that we were faithful when we said yes to God. But rather the diligent, patient, enduring obedience to Yahweh. In big moments and in small. The call to purity and integrity in the quieter moments of life is just as important as the call to boldness and action when the Lord opens a door for you to run through it. In fact, the third thing that we learn from Daniel is that when we continue to walk in faithful obedience, God is faithful to provide opportunities for us to live out our faith in demonstrable ways, ways that are seen and visible to those around us. Sometimes we like those without the hard labor, bear with me, the hard labor of diligent obedience to Jesus. Now, before you get too concerned about that word labor, I love the quote from Dallas Willard. It's so helpful that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is not about not trying at all, not working hard. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn more of God's love or his favor, but we can put in effort. In fact, we're supposed to put in effort. I urge you, Paul says in Ephesians 4, if you read our, our devotional this week, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Make 
every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. These are elements of us actually striving for the things of God. And Daniel teaches that. How does he teach that? Because from the end of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5, it's that much space in my Bible, and it's 23 years in reality. And in that time, we see that Daniel has continued to walk in purity and faithfulness and obedience to his king. So here's my encouragement. I want to encourage you, especially if you're on the young side, you youngins, under 40 people, that kind of a thing, to actually uh, build your lives not on a reputation of a moment, but on what does it look like for me to finish well? What does it mean for me at the end of my life to stand confidently and look back on my life, not say I did perfectly, but I followed my king, I honored my God, in the small things and in the big things, I pursued him. I repented when I was wrong. I walked by the Spirit. I washed people's feet. I served my King. We want to be able to say that at the end of our life, not just for flash-in-the-pan moments of exciting faithfulness. Daniel teaches us that in a big and powerful way. So now, Daniel comes to uh, Belshazzar. Let's kind of get back to the story a little bit. Belshazzar is freaking out. You see all of the different words about how he responds. He, his knees are shaking. His hips go slack. I just kind of think about that for a moment. It's kind of funny to think about hips going slack. I don't know why that makes me laugh. But his color changed, and he is perplexed. He's absolutely confused by what he's seeing, and he's terrified. I have a feeling that you would be terrified too, especially if you're a little bit tipsy or a lot tipsy, and then a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall of your kingdom that says something. It's a supernatural moment where this entire banquet sees this hand and the writing on the wall, and it is terrifying to them. And to top it off, they don't understand what it's saying. So we see a couple of things about this. Verse 20, when, Nebu when his Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. So one of the things that we see right off the bat is that this is a story of pride. This is a story of Nebuchadnezzar having learned who Yahweh is, and he learned it the hard way. If you were with us last week when Garrison preached through this, Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way who Yahweh is. Seven years, he lost his mind. And then when he confessed, Yahweh, you are bigger and more powerful and stronger than I am, his right mind was restored and he came as a worshiper of Yahweh. And here we are a generation later. And honestly, speaking to those of you that are second or third or fourth generation Christians, your parents were Christians, maybe your grandparents were Christians, sometimes it can be harder for us. I'm in that category. I come from a long line of followers of Jesus. It can be hard for us to find deep passion. We want to live our own mistakes sometimes. We want to learn it for ourselves sometimes. We want to actually, in our own pride, we want to hit our own walls so that we can climb over those walls. And honestly, Yahweh's coming to Belshazzar and just saying, why did you not see what I taught Nebuchadnezzar? Why did you not receive that? That message was just as much for you as it was for your father. 
your predecessor. If you are a second or third or fourth generation follower of Jesus, our role is not to fight against our parents or our grandparents and their faith, but to look to that for wisdom. How can I draw from that? What can I learn? I want to mine their story because I don't want to hit the same walls and have the Lord have to teach me the same things. I want to receive the messages that the Lord gave to my parents, and I want to grow from that. I want to contribute from that. Does that make sense? That's just a freebie. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. All right, here we go. Back to the actual writing on the wall. These are all freebies. I'm not charging you for any of this. But the interpretation of Mene Mene Tekel Parson is really, really scary. First of all, Daniel says, and I love that he says, look, keep all your stuff. I don't want your purple clothes. I don't want your gold chain. I don't want to be third ruler in your kingdom, but I will tell you what this means. It means that God has numbered your days and your kingdom is going to be brought to an end. It means that you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That is a devastating sentence. Yeah, God held you up and you've been found wanting. You are insufficient, Belshazzar. And then the third, or the fourth phrase, is your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, a prophetic moment that is going to happen that night and the Persian element later on. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. So here's the reality. The scriptures say a few different times, and it's an important reality for us to grab a hold of, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's 1 Peter 5, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This has been a hard lesson for me to learn in my life that there are things that I can do. And I'll be honest, I'm going to say this. Even as a follower of Jesus, there are things that I can do that put me in opposition to the things that God wants to accomplish in this world. If I am prideful, if I am living in my pride, I am standing in opposition to the things that God wants to do in this world. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We see this on display in Nebuchadnezzar, and we see this on display in Belshazzar. So God sends this hand to write out on a wall. The only way that Belshazzar is going to hear this message from Yahweh is this supernatural, shocking thing that makes his whole body go slack, and he's terrified. And God says, I see you, and you're insufficient. And that night, Belshazzar is killed by a crashing in kingdom. The crazy thing is that Belshazzar had heard every story about Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to write his own story, and his own story was against Yahweh. Now, pride is one of those sins that can take on all kinds of acceptable forms in our society. It can manifest as people-pleasing. It can manifest as self-righteousness. It can manifest as, as arrogance or glory-seeking or even the simple belief that you don't need anyone or anything to help you. All of those are expressions of pride, and there are countless others. There's not one way to be prideful. It's not purely about cockiness or arrogance, but there are a number of ways that that poison infects our lives. And it's critical, critical that we as followers of Jesus identify pride and repent of it, root it out of our lives, and be like relentless in rooting pride out of our lives because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The thing that happens when we ignore God's invitation 
to repent and experience freedom is judgment. And that's what happens with Belshazzar. So as we begin to wrap this up, I just want to actually say, this is kind of our our conclusion, and this is maybe the scary part, is that message on that wall to Belshazzar, a message is actually for us. Sometimes we can take on the attitude that people like Belshazzar, they're evil people, they do evil things. He was uh, drunk, he had multiple wives, he had concubines, he was an evil king, he disregarded Yahweh. Of course he's been weighed and found wanting, but the reality is that message, tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, that is the message for each and every one of us. You think Belshazzar did evil. He took the vessels from the temple of God and he used them for dishonorable purposes. We might look at that and say, oh yeah, that was a big mistake. But we do the same thing every single day. Our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Sorry, Ryan, I didn't give you these scriptures. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We take what was supposed to be used for honorable things, for worship, for the celebration of the creator God, and we use it for dishonorable purposes. We do that often. We do that with our sexual appetites. We do that with our appetites for food. We do that with our appetites for self-destruction. We do that in so many different ways, but we take a vessel that was used for honor and we use it in dishonorable ways. What about our minds? We use our minds frequently for dishonorable purposes. We we lust, we are angry, we hate, we, we thrash people in our minds. We dream about things we idolize in our minds. And Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants to take our minds, these vessels that were for honorable things, and he wants to use them for his good. He does not want us to use our minds for dishonorable means, but to discern the will of God, to turn them to him. We do this with our mouths. James 3, 8 through 10 says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So we use our tongue to bless and to curse. We use the thing that was meant to praise God to curse people made in the likeness of God. I say this because I don't want us to distance ourselves from Belshazzar. I want us to understand that that is who we are, and that is the beauty of the gospel. Let me explain that. The word tekel says you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. At the core of the gospel is the message to you, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. If you were weighed in the balances and found sufficient, there would be no need for Jesus, no need for the gospel story, no need for redemption. You would be enough in and of yourselves. But here's what the scriptures teach us. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The Bible is not unclear about our standing before God. 
you have been weighed in the balances, and you've been found wanting. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You and I need a savior. Here's the thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God stands in opposition to you, but gives grace to you. He opposes your pride, but he calls you to put that pride with Jesus on the cross to humble yourselves and to experience his grace. And that is the message of the gospel. I want to encourage you today. What God has for you is a Big and profound story of long obedience and faithfulness in which he will open up doors of opportunity for you to declare his power and his goodness and his righteousness and his forgiveness to a lost and broken and hurting world. That is a big and high call. And that door is open for the humble. And it is closed for the proud. Be humble. Or as Peter writes in, in chapter 5, clothe yourselves with humility. Put on the humility that Christ came to give you so that you are not standing in opposition to God. We're going to spend some time working on this. This is going to be just part of the, the work that we do in our devotionals, in our, in our pursuit of God, because we need, we need to understand humility. Let me pray for us. And we're going to take some time to respond. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done and said to us, you are gracious and kind and good, and we need you. We need you today. Humble us, Lord Jesus. Humble us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.